0: Wow. Well, listen, guys, please give a really, really warm welcome to Lisa Samuelson. Come on, Lisa. Come on up. I just, and just before I pray for you, I just want to say about, um, one of, um, Lisa and Soren's heroes is William Wilberforce and we love William Wilberforce and, um, they love the Lord. And I, I had watched a video last night of these guys, which was shown at the Vineyard Churches Leaders um, Conference. I think it was two years ago. Yes. And uh, Lisa was talking about the fact that she opened her hands like when when the Lord was calling Samuel. It was almost like she said, "Lord, where do you where where do you want us to go? Where where needs us most?" And uh, the story unfolds because that was their hearts, and I just feel Like it's such a blessing to have you guys here and your kids, some of your kids here, two of them three is that right yep. yeah well they're incredibly welcome. So Lord bless this woman, bless this family and Lord, we ask for a fresh anointing and Lord give us ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. and Lord, we just are so excited to have a family here from across the world. And uh, it is a wonderful thing. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Good morning. I send uh, many greetings from Yangon Vineyard. Uh, I think their service is just about finished now. So, you know, it's, it really is like that every week with lots of people jumping around and our uh, uh, fiberglass baptism uh, pool that leaks badly. Uh, and it goes all into the electrical qu- equipment at the front. But with lots of towels and uh, lots of people managing the situation, it, it's not too, too serious. Um, you know, as Kate said, I'm here with my family and two of my children. It's not often we actually get to travel and speak together, so it's a great privilege today. Uh, I'm originally from the UK, from Lincolnshire, uh, but you would never know that. So please forgive my accent. Uh, I have lived with a Dane for the last 20 years, so I am completely ruined. LAUGHTER <laughs> Um, yeah, my husband, he's from Denmark, so he's a Viking. He, of course, in good Viking style, came over to get an English wife. And, uh, well, he certainly conquered my heart, that's for sure. <laughs> actually, we met in Israel. We actually both met on the mission field. And his, we'd known each other for a few years before he came with his very famous missionary marriage proposal. That was, uh, it goes, it went something like this. Um, dear Lisa, would you marry me? Uh, I cannot offer you a stable life. I cannot offer you that you will ever own a house. I cannot offer you actually that you will ever own anything, but I can promise you that the life with God on mission is an adventure. So I would like to invite you to marry me and into an adventure with God. That's how missionaries propose. And it certainly has been an adventure. It certainly has been the last 20 years. We've been in Israel. We've been in Nepal. We've been in China. We were 11 years in China. And most recently, uh, uh, four years ago, we moved to Myanmar, Burma. Um, but it, it is, it is so great to be here in Southwest Vineyard because, you know, Southwest Vineyard was the first vineyard church of the UK. So, so I feel like we have some connection because Vineyard Yangon is the first vineyard church in uh, Myanmar. Uh, so you have already a ministry, what I call a ministry of firsts. It's a pioneering spirit. It's a spirit of, of really wanting to catch what the new thing that God is doing uh, and go with it. it. It also sets the culture. The ministry of first sets the culture for those people that will come, come behind. So... Yeah, uh, Myanmar, Burma, the video says Burma, we're all confused, to be honest. It is quite a confusing country because uh, they changed the name from Burma to Myanmar. Uh, They also changed the flag. They also changed the capital. They also changed the name of uh, what used to be the capital from Rangoon to Yangon. Uh, And they also uh, changed uh, which side of the road they drive on. (laughs) Seriously. My my husband makes a joke saying, yeah, they did it over two days. They said the trucks first. (laughs) No, but they did overnight. They changed from driving on the left to driving on the right. But they still have right-hand drive cars. So overtaking is really quite the challenge in Myanmar. You have to have a passenger sitting there who's looking, saying, okay, you can go now, you can go now. And the buses, they actually, their doors are still on this side, so they're letting people off into the street. Yeah, it's, it's really quite the country. You really need to come and experience it. Um, I, I hear from Mike that you've been... Focusing on the vineyard values and I think that's wonderful that also what we've been trying to do in in, uh, in Yangon and it's fallen this week to me to talk about compassion and I, I, I am so excited to do that today. I'm so excited and and straight away when I, when I was praying about this and asking the Lord ha- how to approach this he gave me this scripture uh, from Isaiah 61. It's verse 1 to 3. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to the captives, and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of vengeance against their enemies. This is what I call the compassion mandate. This scripture to me is like the compassion mandate. And it begins with a very, very important thing that that Soren and I have learned the hard way being on the mission field for the last 20 years. And that is that all compassion begins with the Holy Spirit. I know you've done, you've covered the value also about come Holy Spirit. And it's so important to understand that you cannot be effective or long lasting with compassion ministries without being desperately dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Because it's him that sustains. It's him that encourages. It's him that gives the strength. For, for the last 14 years, working with uh, Eden, uh, rescuing uh, women that have been trafficked, working in some of the worst areas in such darkness, uh, where lives and destinies are bought and sold, where um, just man's inhumanity to man is, is a daily surprise that, that, that people can still be so cruel to one another. Without the Holy Spirit, I would be a bitter, angry missionary. It is only because of the daily work of the Holy Spirit in my life that enables us to continue to reach out, hearing such stories of slavery. Today in 2017, this is not the 1900s anymore, but every day I hear such stories of slavery and what people do to other people for profit. It's very easy. It would be very easy to become hard and cynical. But the key is to know that it's the Holy Spirit that sustains us to fulfill the compassion mandate. We can't do it in our own strength. That's a good place to start. And the next the next verse where it says, you know, he has anointed me. And we often think of anointing or we speak about different people having anointing, like, oh, they're anointed for teaching. Or they have a healing anointing. Or they have an anointing for prayer. What I love about this one with the compassion mandate is this anointing is for all. It's for everyone. It's not exclusive. It's not specialist. It's not to do with a certain area. This anointing is for everyone who says come Holy Spirit. Because when you invite the Holy Spirit in, when you invite His working, you invite the very nature and personality of God, it will smother you. It will smear you, just like the meaning of anointing. You will be completely covered with the nature and character of God, which is about compassion. You know, if you go to Exodus 34 6, it's talking about. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out the Lord, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. You know, I, I, uh, um, I was talking with my husband about this the other day and he was saying, yeah, this is like God's business card, you know. I've learned a lot about business card culture uh, living in Asia. It's, it's, it's not like casual. You can't just sling your business card. You can't just do that. You have to have this whole culture of giving your business card in Asia and it has to be held with both hands and you have to present it the right side and the, the facing the other person so that they can read it as you give it. And you have to give this little bow. As you give it, I've made so many mistakes. I've given it with one hand. I've slung it around the table. Like I'm dealing a roulette. Um, and it doesn't work. It has to be done in this way. Cause actually in your business card is this identity. It is who you are and who you're representing. So it's a very, they take it very, very seriously. So here in this scripture, we have God personally giving his business card to Moses. And we talked a little about the ministry of firsts. You know, I love this. This is like the first time God shows up like a, a personal appearance. And, and, and Moses can't even see his face. He can only look at his back. It is, it is the most amazing first time event in the history of mankind So God has this opportunity. What is he going to choose? What is the thing that he is going to choose to declare about himself? The first thing, the very first thing after his name, name and title on the business card, the very first thing he could all powerful, omnipotent, almighty, all of those things that maybe we would have thought if it was us, if we were God, you know, kind of like would be the big power stuff, right? But the first thing he chooses to declare about himself is compassion. It's it's locked deeply into his nature and character that he wants every one of us to catch, including Moses, that he is saying he is compassion, lechem in Hebrew, which means it's not only the feeling. Compassion is a feeling of deep sorrow for someone who has been stricken by misfortune, but it's accompanied by, this is the important part, accompanied by the strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Compassion is not just the feeling of, oh dear, that's terrible, that's awful, and then I just continue with my life Compassion is about being moved to do something. It's about, it's about being so emotionally changed and, and rising up against injustice that you have to do something practical about the issue. 15 years ago in China is where I first started to see the effects of human trafficking and it was actually where, where I realized that it was not just somebody else's problem. Sometimes we do that. We pass by on the other side. You know, like the, the, the Samaritan people, the religious people, we pass by on the other side. But I realized when I was there seeing this problem every day that it was, it was demanding a response. You know, there's 45.8 million Slaves in the world today, 45.8 million. That's the greatest number ever in world history. Truly, William Wilberforce would be so disappointed with our generation because this happened on our watch. On our watch, slavery increased more than ever in human history. This is the legacy we leave to the next generation. Why does exploitation happen? Why is it happening? Well, I can tell you what the worldwide research uh, says. It says that when you have these three things coming together, you have vulnerability, you have discrimination and you have failure of government and the rule of law. When these three things are coming together, then you have the perfect environment for exploitation. It means that uh, people who are migrating, uh, there's huge migration happening all over the world. Um, Migration is not a negative thing, but it's really difficult to find safe migration practices. So women or men in migration are often exploited and discriminated against. Vulnerability. You have single parents, you have poor people who just don't have enough money to pay the rent. You have people with disabilities, lack of education, causing such vulnerability. And you also have the failure of governments and the rule of law. You know, even though I have uh, been in many different nations, I still see the failure of governments internationally to stand up for trafficking victims. Most trafficking victims in the world today go under immigration violation. They're not really provided for. They're not really helped with their rights. They go back to very serious uh, and dangerous situations. But they're treated by the nations, uh, for example, like in Hong Kong, uh, as immigration violation. But the problem is much deeper than this. The problem is much deeper than this. It's, It's about a sickness in the heart of man. That only the gospel and resolve. Compassion, I'm going to be a little controversial here, but to me, compassion without the gospel is self-seeking. It's like in, in the Buddhist culture, we see it all the time. They're practicing compassion, but the reason to practice compassion is in order for my path of enlightenment I I want to be enlightened, so I practice compassion because it's for my benefit. It's self-seeking. Or compassion without the gospel, at its very best, is a fresh bandage for a mortal wound. The most important thing that Saren and I have, the most valuable thing in 20 years of being on the mission field, that we take out on the streets with us and into the community centers, into the communities where we reach is our faith in the transformational power of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. That's what we carry. That's all we have. That's all the weapons we go equipped with. We have the weapons of the gospel. You know, uh, Soren has a joke with a pastor. He works within Nepal. They call it the gospel injection. They're going out to give injection everywhere. You know, because they're so passionate about reaching people, you know, as you give like inoculations to protect kids, you know, they're talking about giving the gospel injection to, to, to protect the next generation. Our church has a holistic approach with the gospel at the center. We have a holistic approach to the problems that we see in the communities around us. And one of the biggest problems we see is, of course, with with trafficking and exploitation. So we, you can see on the um, the, the timeline that we are working. The full scale, because the problem of human trafficking, you just, it's really difficult just to take a piece of it and say, okay, we're just going to work with that. Because the problem is so much bigger, starting with the disease in the hearts of men, you know, like going, uh, going all the way to the other side of, of providing uh, trauma counseling for victims who have been through uh, uh, such traumatic slavery situations. We need to cover it all. And uh, the vineyard church in Yangon, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to cover the whole spectrum of uh, to make an impact against human trafficking. So we're starting with, with prevention. That's a lot. Soren's area, he's working in the communities that are most vulnerable. Communities where there's lack of education, where there's single parents, where there's family dysfunction, and, and he's building these community centers that are out of a church plant. So we're not separating it. We're, we're, uh, Mike said to me earlier, you know, like with the yard that you have, you know, it's very open. We're a church. This is, this is who we are. This is our identity. There's no church hidden in the back or church Bibles hidden somewhere that you bring out, you know, when somebody's interested. It's openly because there's power in that, and also the same in in Yangon with the community centres. You know, it's out of a church plant in the slums, so um, we are reaching so many kids. Uh, the sewing pr- sometimes it makes my head whirl what he's out and doing every day and managing. But it's so important to impact these communities because you know what? If you're not based in the community, if you're not planted in the community, then you can't be effective because the the drug traffickers, the people traffickers, the middle people, the loan sharks, the drug pushers, they are all living in the community. So if we also are not living based, reaching out in this community, then we will not have an empowered voice to make a difference to the people we're reaching out to he works with families. Working with families is really, really important. You know, it used to be that if a a child was rescued from trafficking, it would be like, okay, let's put the child in a home. Let's, you know, like make an orphan home for all these trafficking victims. But, you know, you're just building more institutions, to be honest. Really, what people need to heal is family. Family is healing. Family is restoration, even a damaged family that you can come alongside and help is better for the long-term health of a child than growing up in an orphanage. There's a family that he was working with recently. I'll just give you an example so you can see uh, what they're involved with daily. He's trained his team to have sharp eyes out for which kids are missing, which kids are not coming in when they should be coming in and then following up. So there was a family, a single mom. She had three kids and she was pregnant with number four. Her Husband had left her, abandoned her, and she needed to pay the rent. Now, this, this is a real problem in Myanmar, like just to pay the rent. It's $40 a month for one of those shacks that you saw on the video, $40 a month. That's a lot of money for a single mom who has no income at all. So the first option is always, uh, which child can I sell? Which child can I, you know, maybe sell to a tea shop, maybe, you know, like sell to be a maid in a rich person's house, so they're, they're responding to the problem by selling their children. What happened with uh, this young girl uh, was that her mother sold her age 10 into a tea shop. The tea shops are very, very bad. Uh, lots of exploitation, lots of violence towards the children. Uh, they're working there from, I think, 4 a.m. in the morning. They start until uh, midnight. The kids are working constantly. And there she was. This is like step one. Now, if the girl is pretty, if she's beautiful, if she has sellable attributes, there are traffickers in the community who will already see the vulnerability, identify that girl, and she will be soon taken to the pedophile trade into Thailand. But the first step was the, t- the tea shop. But Saren's team was so keyed into, okay, this... That they, this girl hasn't been here for a few days. Her brothers and sisters have been here, but not her. So her, uh, his team goes out into the community and they go and visit the mom. Where is she? Oh, I sold her. You know, it's still, it's still so hard for me today as a mom. It's still, I, I find it so difficult to wrap my head around a mom selling their children, but then I've never experienced that kind of poverty. It's very easy to stand and judge, you know, but I've never experienced, I've never had to face that kind of survival poverty. So, uh, they found out, uh, which tea shop, uh, they'd sold, I think it was about 10 days afterwards, right? And, uh, th- then you needed a Viking to go and do this rescue. You know, then you really need the big tall Viking and he walks into the tea shop and everybody's like, vroom, quiet. He he looks a bit scary, right? He does look like a scary Viking. (laughs) Especially in Myanmar, where everybody's quite small. So (laughs) I, I have no problem finding him anywhere in a crowd. But so he went in and they do the negotiation with the, with the tea shop owner. And eventually after some time and a long discussion, he left with this girl. Now, previously, previously it would have been to take her to an orphanage because she's not safe at home, but we need to be coming alongside families. We need to be using time to help families to change their values. And that's all done through the gospel. This lady now is coming to the vineyard church plant. She's being transformed by the power of Christ. Her heart, which previously was set on survival mentality and selling her children, is now being changed to a heart of compassion towards her own children, that she will not choose to sell them again. The outreach that we do for the last, you know, 15 years every week i'm out on the street somewhere with my team in red light area trafficking hub as my children were growing up it did create quite some problems with them in school telling what their mother did for a living so it would either be oh yes my mother works in the red light area <laughs> or you know uh, once before uh, they said oh my mother does something with trafficking so for international school teachers that can ring some alarms, you know, to hear those things. But it, it's been a privilege to me to be out on, this, uh, on the streets and, and to really how God has broken me and changed me. Because when I first stepped in there, I was thinking of this compartmentalized mentality, you know, kind of like, okay, girls, good, girls, rescue, mafia, uh, traffickers, bad, You know, just ignore them. They're the bad people. And I just need to go in and get these girls out of this situation. But then I realized that, that, you know, God spoke to me so clearly that, that everyone's held captive in this area of human trafficking. Everyone that you can't can't, can't, cannot compartmentalize the gospel. It is not. The gospel is for all trafficker, mafia, boss, brothel owner girl who's been exploited, family who's sold their children. The gospel is for all and for everyone. And that's what's so incredible about the gospel. That's what's so amazing and exciting about the gospel because it it doesn't depend on some uh, criteria that you have to fit. It's dependent upon the compassion and the grace and the mercy of our God. So being changed in this way and realizing, okay, God, you have a heart for the mafia also. All right, that's surprising. But what do you want me to do about that? So he gave me the scripture about having this feast and inviting everyone. So every year at Christmas time, we have this big party. We hire a very fancy hotel and we put on a great meal and we invite all the local mafia. There's usually around 200 people uh, that come uh, every year. They come with their girls. They come with their uh, guys. And I think you can see the picture. That's me. Uh, The guy standing behind me, the the bigger guy. He is the leader of one of the biggest uh, mafia groups in our city. And uh, the first time I met him, he was beating up a girl on the street. Uh, But... I intervened. I gave him a prophetic word, which he was extremely shocked by and intrigued by. And so began our friendship. Uh, he came to our Christmas party where the gospel was preached. Uh, we had people praying. Uh, it was a fantastic atmosphere. And then six months after, uh, after first meeting him, I was out for, uh, for dinner with him in a restaurant. And he bowed his head and he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. This is the transformational power of the gospel to take a guy like this that was trafficking women to Shanghai. He was he was filled with violence. He was a man who lived violence. And in fact, the prophetic word that I gave him was just so strange because it was uh, the word I gave him was violence does not become you. You were created for something better. And that's how God speaks into our life with the opposite. You know, we may be living in crime or drugs, or 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 we may be held captive by something. But God speaks the opposite into our life and future and into our purpose. This guy that used to be trafficking, he is now a policeman in the same area where he used to traffic. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm no word of a lie. He is now a policeman. That's the transformational power of the gospel. He's, he's really an amazing guy. And, uh, I, I hope you, uh, you know, uh, that he will be able to tell his own story one day. And this is also, you remember the scripture that we read in the beginning where it talks about vengeance, the vengeance of our God. I used to think vengeance was that traffickers got put in prison and, you know, but actually the legal system in many of the countries where we've worked is so corrupt that there is no justice because the trafficker, he can just pay the judge. That's how it works in Myanmar. You know, they can just pay the judge and there is no justice. But the vengeance of our God is actually when somebody like this guy gets saved for the kingdom, that's the true vengeance of God. That's the, that's the real, you know, smack in your face for the devil. Because somebody that the devil was using for his kingdom gets turned around by the transformational power of the gospel and starts working for God. We have the mobile clinic also going on. It's, it, it's a very interesting thing. We do instant HIV testing at the side of the road. Uh, we drive up in our black uh, mafia car. And we stop and open the side door and then girls and guys and pimps and bosses, they just come and they, uh, they can have 15 minutes alone with us in the van. As we're doing the HIV testing, we're able to get the story of the girl away from the people who would hold them captive. We're able to ask, who brought you here? What's your story? What's your background? Who trafficked you? Do you have family? So we're able to really do uh, a a fantastic work to find out more about the girls and how we can help them. We do rescue. One of our themes this year for for Eden is about courage. Uh, And that's because in 15 years of doing this, uh, this work, I've met some of the most courageous women on the planet They will never receive women of the year awards. They will never be invited to fancy events where they will be able to have lots of people clap for them. But I I think it's important that their story is heard. Two two women I want to share their story with you today. One is uh, Lulu. Um, She is the last woman on the line standing on the uh, right. She was a, a woman who was looking for a, to better life for her family. She wanted to migrate to get a job. She was offered a job by an agent to work in a factory. Everything seemed okay. Everything seemed good. She paid a lot of money for the privilege to be trafficked. You see, there's so much deception, so much cheating, so much vulnerability because they just don't know what they're getting themselves into. She thought she was going for a job in a factory. She ended up as a bride being sold as a bride in, in China. And she was, um, she was sold as a bride to a guy who was mentally ill. He had extremely bad schizophrenia. Um, she woke up several times in the night with him, holding a knife to her throat, she was forced, she was bullied. She was beaten daily. She was treated as a slave. This is the 20th century guys. This is like happening daily in our world. She uh, was forced to have a baby with this guy. Um, She had a little girl and this girl was her pride and joy. You know, it was her, in a way it was her escape, her heart escape that she could love on this child. After a couple of years, the beatings got worse and uh, his mental health state got worse. She was afraid for her life. She met a lady in the market when she was buying vegetables one day from Myanmar who gave her the address of the trafficking uh, connection, the trafficking police. She called the number of the trafficking police, gave her location and was filled with hope that now something was going to happen. But unfortunately, the response in that nation was that, yes, indeed, the police did come, but they arrested her like a common criminal, put her in handcuffs and took her away to prison. She was in prison for four months, awaiting for her papers to be um, sorted out. She was waiting. Okay, when am I going to see my daughter? When can I uh, take my daughter back to Myanmar? Oh, No said one of the prison guards to her one day, you can't take your daughter. Your daughter belongs to this country. You have chosen your freedom over your daughter. And with these words hanging over her, she lost all hope. She became so depressed uh, and, and just wanted to give up on life. So she tied... Material together that she found because she wanted to hang herself in the prison cell. And as she, uh, she had planned it very well, and she thought that the prison guards wouldn't be around at that time. And she made this act of hopelessness, losing everything, her child, her future. But there was a prison guard who for some reason randomly felt to go and uh, check on her. And he found her and he saved her. And then after a couple months more, she was referred to to the Eden program where we were able to help her with the the trauma counseling that we do. A lot of the women that come in, they have post-traumatic stress disorder. We're able to have counselors on site who work with them through this trauma, who help them to face the trauma full on. And that's why I call them women of great courage. She is now, Lulu is now, In our program, she is the workshop manager for the Eden Jewelry. She is accomplishing so much. She's such an encouragement and a role model to the other women in the program that you can be at the bottom. You can be at the very, very bottom, lost all hope. But there is a God who responds to the cry of the hopeless and the cry of the brokenhearted. And he responded to her cry And he heard, and he brought her to Eden, and she met the one, the lover of her soul, and he restored her life. And then there's Nini. Nini, also 16 years old. But you young people here today, you know, can you imagine 16 years old and you're trafficked and sold to pay the family's rent? She comes from a family with 12 siblings. Uh, their morning breakfast is that they have to share, uh, um, divide an egg between them, one egg between the siblings. This is the 20th century. We don't understand this kind of poverty. So Nini was sent to what she thought was a factory job of, uh, she arrived there. It wasn't, she was put into slavery. She had a chain put around her ankle for the first few months. She was there to, uh, um, contain her movements because the family they've purchased her, right? So they have rights. That's how they view it. I've purchased her. Even if the police would come, they would say, I've paid good money for her. Slavery is alive and well and existing in our world today. Nini, she was extremely brave and courageous and moving in the survival spirit, the pioneering spirit of, I am going to escape from this place. So every week as she would find different pieces of material, she also made a rope. But hers was a rope of escape. And after five months of being there, the rope was long enough to lower herself down from the third story roof in a rope that you've tied together yourself. When she told me her story, I was thinking, can you imagine you're 16 years old and you're hanging on this makeshift escape rope? But she said that when she was there, she just cried out, somebody, please help me. Oh, well, somebody, please help me. She was just speaking out to the air or so she thought. When she finally got to the bottom, she ran as fast as she could, but she heard that the family had set the dogs on her. So she heard dogs coming after her. She jumped into a ditch and covered herself with the foliage and she also s- says again out loud, somebody, please help me. Is there anybody out there that can help me? The dogs actually ran past the ditch. And she spent the night in this ditch, shivering and freezing cold until the early morning light when she got up and she took herself to the nearest pl- police station. In the five months she'd been there, she'd learned to speak Chinese. So she was able to tell her story in Chinese to the policeman she was also taken to prison where she was kept there while her papers were processed. Eventually through the referral process, she came to Eden and when she came into the church for the first time and she was introduced to Jesus, she said, he was the one that answered me when I cried out on that rope. And when I cried out on the ditch, now I know it was him who heard me. He hears the cry of the broken hearted. Both these women. Incredible courage. Lulu who will never ever see her daughter again. She has no rights. Nini who also has to face her loss. A lot of the time with the trauma counseling. That's what we work with. We work with loss. Stories of incredible courage. But how can you help? How can I mean, it's great for me to come and talk, but you know, I, I don't want to just come and talk and tell you all these terrible stories. I, I want to give you something practical that you can do to help. You know, we have a, a UK charity called Mercy Outreach that actually Liz Mann, who was a part of this church uh, for around 15 years. She's the chairman of this charity and, and Eden and Vineyard Yangon and all the work that we do is, is under Mercy Outreach UK. Uh, you can go onto the website. You can um, check us out. You can give through stewardship if you want to. 100% of the uh, of the income goes into the projects. I think that's really important to know. Everything uh, with Mercy Outreach is done with volunteers. So we don't have a fancy office in London, nor we don't have any of those things to pay for. Uh, we just have the work. So 100% goes into that. Uh, You can also, um, you can buy the jewelry. Uh, This is the committed necklace. You see the, the center heart is missing. The center gold heart is made into another necklace that is given to a woman on our outreach. So it's called committed because this is not just a necklace. It's about a prayer movement. It's about making human trafficking personal once again, because you know that there's a real woman wearing the other half of your necklace and you're committed to pray for her. You're committed to advocate uh, against uh, human trafficking. You're committed to fight for her and for her rights and for the rights of those 45 million slaves that still exist in the world today. I have a word. For the church, Um, yeah, Kate and Neil, I just feel that um, the scripture, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, uh, that God is doing a new thing here with this focus on the ends of the earth, that as you are a pioneering church, you carry the pioneering spirit, you're going to set a new culture for vineyard churches in the UK, and this is going to be about world mission. It's going to be the outward focus, not just the inward focus. You are going to accomplish Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth within this church. You're not going to have to move anywhere. You're going to accomplish that within the church. And you've been through a time of transition and you've been through a time of, of almost like pairing, God pairing things off and, and, and kind of condensing things down. But that's because God's going to bring new people in and these new people will carry a, 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 a calling for the uttermost parts of the earth. And there's going to be a lot more missionaries coming to speak in your church from the uttermost parts of the earth because you are going to be actively involved in what God is doing out in the world today. God. There is a William Wilberforce anointing. There is an anointing. And it is an anointing to stand up and dedicate a life, your own life, in the pursuit against slavery. That's what he did. His calling was not just a a few months or or, or even a few years. It was a lifetime. And that's what God's calling us to, a lifetime commitment that though slavery has increased more than any other time in human history. If we stand together as the church against it, then we can see it eradicated in our generation. Just as William Wilberforce did in his. In the scripture, if you're wondering compassion, compassion, you know, where should I go? What's great about the scripture that I started with is that it clearly talks about three groups of people. It talks about the poor, it talks about the broken hearted, and it talks about the captives. You don't have to go far to find somebody from one of those groups. Compassion is about being moved. And sometimes because of trauma in our own life, in our own situation, we have a compassion blockage. We see that a lot also with the girls that have come into the program. They're not compassionate with each other. And it's because compassion comes from the seat of emotion. It comes from the, I mean, talk about bowels, but I mean, we don't go there. Let's talk about like this, the very, your very deep belly. Compassion is coming up from, from this place. It demands a response. But sometimes if our own trauma is greater, than it doesn't come to anything. I feel that there's some people here today that have been through trauma, might be the trauma of abuse or a violent relationship, but I feel that God wants to bring freedom to you today. And he wants to break this trauma off your life and off your future so that you can move forward in the anointing that's for all, the compassion anointing that's for everyone. So as, as compassion demands a movement, I just want to invite you today to respond to this message. It might be that you just respond by just standing up. I'm going to make a stand against modern day slavery. It might be that you want to renew a mission calling. It might be that you want to uh, you want God to speak to you about a nation or you want God to confirm to you we we are here, my husband, my children. we would happily pray for you for that. It might be that you're here today and you're feeling that. This sounds really amazing and I want that transformational gospel. It might be that you might not have experienced that yet. If that's you, then I encourage you, come forward. Let people pray for you to experience the transforming power of Jesus that no trauma is too great. No trauma is too great to stop the power and the love of God from changing someone. So I would, if the worship team would come up, play, play and if you, I, I just encourage you to respond. This is, this is, you know, a call going out. The William Wilberforce church is just over here, but the anointing is in this place. The anointing to, to move against slavery is in this place. And I don't know what God will speak to you about how you make a commitment against that. But we all need to make a commitment. Because this has happened on our watch. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. God bless you.